Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here is your host, Marina Maria. I declare the scripture, Zechariah 2.5, over Faith City Outreach, where the Lord says, And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Pastor Rob Winters from Prepare the Way International Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for being on Faith City Outreach to share your revised and expanded third edition of your book, Prepare America, Hope for a Nation in Crisis. Pastor Rob, I would like the listeners from different countries and states to know a little bit about you before we discuss your book, Prepare America, Hope for a Nation in Crisis. I know that you and your wife, Kay, have been pastors of Prepare the Way International Church in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, since 2016, and that you have been preaching since 1989. How has God blessed your church? Well, thanks for having me, Marina. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Um, I actually uh, was raised Catholic and... uh, to make a long story short, um, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1986, and shortly thereafter uh, went to Bible school with Christian International. Um, got my master's degree in biblical studies there. Was trained in prophetic ministry, so my ministry is primarily prophetic in nature. Um, like you said, started preaching in 1989, and then we started an itinerant prophetic ministry in 1993. It's called Restoration International Ministries. And then shortly thereafter, in uh, 1996, the Lord spoke to my wife and I to move to Phoenix. It's kind of a long story, but we moved to Phoenix in April of 96. And later we started the Gatekeepers International Prophetic Network, which was from 2003 to 2008. And then we, in, in 2009, we started Prepare the Way International as a prophetic ministry based in Phoenix, mainly to Arizona. And after about six years of that, the Lord prompted us to start the church, Prepare the Way International Church, in um, January of 2016. And so we've been at it about four years. We started with eight committed members, and we're, we're running about 115, 120 on Sunday mornings now. But uh, God's blessed the church, and we are attempting to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We do believe there is a great awakening that is coming, uh, beginning, I believe, in this decade. So we're excited about what God's doing. I thought it was interesting to read the title of your church, Prepare the Way International Church, and then your book, Prepare America. I wondered if there was a prophetic meeting behind this that God has revealed to you as a prophet. Well, you know, that's a really good question. Um, it actually was more of a personal prophetic commission uh, that I'd received uh, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
in um, on June 29th of 1986, um, I received a prophecy uh, during that uh, strategic time when I received the Holy Spirit. And the, and the prophecy was Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. And that scripture says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked ways shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh. Uh, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And so uh, in this passage of scripture, really basically encompassed my entire uh, ministry. It was basically a life word that was spoken. At the time I was leave, living in uh, Hampton, Virginia, when I received this particular prophecy, and it talks about being in the wilderness. And of course, it was several years later, uh, 10 years later before we moved to Phoenix, which literally is a desert, a wilderness. And uh, so the promise in that passage of scripture was to prepare the way of the Lord. It's basically the commission of John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Um, of course, we believe that there is not only fulfillment of John the Baptist, but also company of prophets that God's raising up for such a time as this to prepare the way of the Lord through preaching repentance. And the promise is that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And I believe we're entering into those times as we prepare the way of the Lord that God is uh, getting ready to pour out his glory. Pastor Rob, please share your personal experience in which God led you to read the scripture, Mark 1, verse 2 to 3 in your first chapter, prepare the way of the Lord. What was the significant meaning behind this scripture? Well, uh, this book, uh, Prepare America, was actually prompted by a prophetic sign. Uh, God deals with me with numbers a lot, uh, prophetic signs and numbers. And what had happened was in March uh, 2011, um, I was abruptly awakened at 1.23 a.m. in the morning. And I didn't really think anything about it until the next night. I again was abruptly awakened at 1.23 in the morning. And so I began to seek the Lord about this. And, and he said, I want you to begin to look at all the one, two, three scriptures in the Bible. So I begin to look at uh, chapter one, verse two and three, chapter one, verse 23, and even uh, chapter 12, verse three scriptures, and also Psalm 123. And what I found is that there was a prophetic message brought forth through the one, two, three scriptures. One of the paramount ones was in Mark chapter one, verse two and three, that talks about John the Baptist. It says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way for you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so that mirrors Isaiah chapter 40, what captured my attention right away. And it's interesting to note that even in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 23, another 1, 2, 3 scripture, it says, he said, I am, this is John the Baptist, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So there is a continual theme that we see in the 1, 2, 3 scriptures of repentance in the spirit of John the Baptist. Mm. In the chapter... In the same chapter, today the Lord um, 
or I should say, prepare the way of the Lord, you mention, and it reads, Today the Lord has condition and is seeking to commission a company of messengers in the spirit of John the Baptist with the message and mantle of repentance. Only then will the way be prepared for the Lord to visit America with an unpresented spiritual revival and harvest of souls in the decade of glory. Therefore, the judgment that accompanies repentance must begin in the house of God, starting with the foundation, his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's in Ephesians 4.11 and also 1 Peter 4.17 and Jude 1.11. First of all, why must the judgment that accompanies repentance first begin in the house of God? Pastor Rob? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Um, I'll reference scripture, 1 Peter 4.17. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? And so, you know, before messengers can prepare the way of the Lord, they have to be prepared by the Lord. So, in, you know, in other words, you know, God has to do a work in his messengers before he can do a work through his messengers. And so God has got to repair the foundation of the, the church because the foundation is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Um, Psalm eleven three says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so God wants to rebuild the foundations of the church. And Psalm 89, verse 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So we see in this passage that the throne of God is founded upon righteousness and justice. And so is the house of God. And we see that uh, that the foundation of righteousness and justice must be the foundation of not only the throne of God, but the house of hold of God in the earth. And um, Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 says that now, therefore there are no longer, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So God wants to build a house. He wants to build a family. He wants to build a household of God. And it says that that household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So in this passage, we see that the two uh, primary offices that rebuild the foundation are apostles and prophets. Uh, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we start off as a household of God. We begin as a family of God. In many churches, that's where they stay. They never grow into a holy temple in the Lord. But the scripture is clear that he wants us to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. The only way we can do that is by having a foundation in prophetic and apostolic ministry. And so the temple of God cannot be holy unless it's built on the foundation of holiness. And holiness is produced when prophets preach repentance. And when we preach repentance, it establishes righteousness in the saints of God, establishing righteousness in the foundation of the church. Similarly, the apostles, when they execute righteous judgment, 
by judging things that they're authorized to judge, it brings holiness into the church. So prophets produce righteousness in the church through preaching repentance and apostles administrate justice by by executing righteous judgment in the church. And so these are the ways that we continue to rebuild the foundation of the church. So are you saying, too, that there has been a lack of preaching about repentance in the church? Well, definitely. Um, You know, prophetic ministry in the last 20 years has primarily been associated with uh, personal prophecy and signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, um, there was a prophet who had a vision a few years back, and he saw a three-legged stool, and one one of the three legs was missing. And he asked the Lord, what does this stool represent? And the Lord said, this stool represents prophetic ministry, but there's three legs to prophetic ministry. One is obviously prophesying. The second is signs and wonders. But the third missing leg was the preaching of repentance. And that's what's been missing in the church. You also mention in your book, Prepare America, Hope for a Nation in Crisis. Without repentance, America's preachers are unable to herald from any from our pulpits anointed and convicting messages of repentance, leaving the church at large to to drown in a quagmire of sin. So are you saying if America's preachers don't go through a purging and cleansing before their churches or, let's say, before God, then the people will remain in sin. Well, yes. Um, you know, the, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if preachers aren't preaching messages of repentance, people aren't going to have faith to enter into repentance. And so um, I, what I think is interesting is that both John the Baptist and Jesus commenced their ministries with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I believe there's a challenge uh, to, to all ministers that if, if the message of repentance was good enough for John the Baptist, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. And so it's basically a foundational repentance. Repentance is foundational. If you look at the six doctrines of Christ, in the book of Hebrews, repentance from dead works is the first doctrine. Uh, you have to have repentance before you can have faith towards God. And it's been it's been missing, you know, in the church uh, for decades now. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when Peter was preaching there to the multitudes, he said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And we've had many people crying out for refreshing, crying out for revival, crying out for a great awakening, but yet we failed to realize that times of repentance must precede times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And that's why uh, I believe that God is bringing the church, bringing America, bringing the world into a place of repentance so that he can bring those times of refreshing that we've been waiting for. 
So what does repentance look like, Pastor Rob? Some of us may believe, well, you know, I already went to God and I said sorry, but then sometimes we just revert back to the same old habits that are not, you know, Christ-like habits. Right, right, exactly. And, and you know, and I'm, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, okay. But, you know, uh, one of the things that you, you brought out is about, you know, the preachers, that it's got to begin with the preachers. If it doesn't, then, uh, you know, the people aren't going to re- receive it. You see, if preachers cannot preach convicting, see, they can't preach convicting messages of repentance if they're condemned in their own sin. Um, and that's why preachers, they've got to experience a fresh baptism of fire, a spiritual cleansing, a purging of the filthiness, Lord, in the, in the spirit and of the flesh. And be perfected in holiness and the fear of God. They have to experience that fire first or they're not. Uh, they're not going to be able to preach these messages. If they're walking in sin, they're not going to be preaching repentance themselves. And that's why we've seen uh, so much. Uh, so many messages, I believe, of, you know, hyper grace messages that I don't want to say they condone sin, but they almost give you a free pass. And uh, repentance has been reduced to a salvation experience. People have said that, oh, well, I repented when I got born again. But we have to re- realize that repentance is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Our repentance is a lifestyle that we, you know, have to walk in continually if we're going to walk in the holiness God requires for his glory to be poured out. Right, a daily lifestyle. Right, right. So, Pastor Rob, what does true purging and cleansing look like for preachers? Please give examples. Well, I think the primary example comes out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah himself, uh, and if you know, if you're watching or you're listening uh, today, you might want to turn to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six gives a profile of repentance and a qualification of ministry that I believe is a good example for all of us. And if, if just reading out of Isaiah chapter six in verse one, it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And what people don't realize is that King Uzziah was a good friend of Isaiah And when Uzziah had passed away, Isaiah was in a place of crisis in his life. And during that place of crisis, he had an encounter with God. He he had a vision of God in heaven. And I believe that's where God's bringing ministers today. They're bringing them into a place of crisis. The old messages, the old ways don't work anymore, and they need a fresh touch from God. They've come to a place of crisis, and I believe that's where Uh, God's brought many of us. He came to a place of crisis. And in that crisis, he had a vision of the Lord and encountered the holiness of God. In verse two, he goes on to say, above the temple stood seraphim. These are the angels of God. Each had six wings, two, they covered their face, two covered their feet, two with two, they flew. And one cried to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we see that when he had an encounter with God, he had an encounter with the angels who were crying, Holy, Holy, Holy of the Lord. And that is the attribute of God that is most prevalent when you have an encounter with the Lord, his holiness. 
And we find that even the holiness of God is really the beauty of the beauty of holiness is what is his glory. And it talks about that there. And so he had an encounter with the holiness of God that brought Isaiah to a place of conviction, a conviction of sin. And when he saw the glory of God and his holiness, he goes on in verse three and he said, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. You see, until he saw the king, he wasn't convicted of his sin. And so this encounter with the holiness of God allowed a spirit of judgment to convict Isaiah of his sin that brought forth a confession of sin. So we see that in repentance, repentance is brought forth through the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord really consists of two different spirits. One is the spirit of judgment and the other is the spirit of burning. Isaiah chapter four, verse four talks about that the, the, the sins of the daughters of Zion would be cleansed by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. So when he encountered the spirit of the Lord, the, when he saw the Lord, the conviction of God came upon him when he saw the uh, the holiness of God and the spirit of judgment brought conviction of sin and a confession of sin. And after that, then after Isaiah was convicted, the spirit of burning cleansed him of his sin. And so uh, it goes on in verse six to say, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a hand of a live coal, which he had taken from the tongues of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And so the spirit of judgment convicts us of sin and the spirit of burning cleanses us of sin. And so what's happening is that we need, preachers need a fresh encounter with the presence of the Lord to where they are convicted of their sin, the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord comes upon them. They're convicted of their sin through the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning cleanses them of this sin. So they experience a fresh baptism of fire that they're not just confessing sins, but they're cleansed of their sin. And so after that, then after Isaiah's conviction, confession and cleansing of sin, it preceded his commissioning. And in verse 8, he began to hear a voice out of heaven. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. And I believe that those words are being echoed from the halls of heaven continually. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? But preachers can never hear those words until they're convicted, they confess, and they're cleansed of those iniquities. And that is what qualifies people begin to preach and uh, to uh, minister the gospel. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate, but so many people, they feel like if I get a Bible degree, that I'm going to be qualified to go in the ministry. Well, God does want us to study to show ourselves approved, but yet at the same time, if we haven't had an encounter with the Lord where he has purged us of our iniquity, we're not qualified to begin to preach the gospel. And, you know, the apostle Paul had a similar experience when he got knocked off of his horse. But I believe that this is one of the missing ingredients uh, of uh, preachers and pastors and fivefold ministers in the body of Christ. Amen. Pastor Rob, imagine you are in front of thousands, no, millions of pastors. 
speak to them now about the importance of this purging and cleansing before their church. You're okay. talking to them. Yes, and I kind of think it follows up from what I said. I, I firmly believe that an encounter with the face and the holiness of God will bring the conviction, the confession, and the cleansing of sin that's necessary for the Lord to commission all of us as messengers, as his messengers. And if, if I would say to these ministers, if you have not had an encounter with God in this fashion, you could be disqualified from being his messenger, a preacher and a fivefold minister of this life-changing gospel. Um, I believe that, you know, that if we have had an encounter with the holiness of God and have been commissioned by the Lord, we have to examine ourselves regularly to see if we're in the faith. In fact, Paul exhorts in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Christ Jesus is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So I believe that there are many out there. We need to see if, you know, we are uh, daily. We need to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Are we walking with the Lord? Are we doing these things? And um, then there are just another whole group of ministers that have fallen in sin. And, um, and if they have indeed been commissioned by the Lord and they have fallen in habitual sin, they we, we need to ask for the fear of the Lord. We need to ask for a love of righteousness and a hatred of lawlessness. And I would encourage any of you, if you are struggling with sin, I've heard a statistic that 68% of all men in church, these are Christians that attend church, 68% are bound by pornography. You know, and, and if we're bound by pornography and sexual sin, there's no way we can walk in the holiness that's required to care, become carriers of the glory of God. And I, I believe that God is wanting to send his spirit of judgment and burning. We've got to cry out for a hatred for sin. You know, uh, even Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he said, but if I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, uh, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I believe that we need to have enough of the fear of the Lord in our lives that we realize we can be disqualified from this gospel that we preach and that we've got to draw near to the Lord and uh, not, uh, you know, somebody made a joke one time and said that in America, we don't buffet our bodies, we, bu we buffet our bodies, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that we, we, we need to discipline ourselves, walk in the fear of the Lord and become disciples of Christ and allow him to cleanse us and purge us so that we forsake sin, not just confess sin. What a good time to examine our hearts, what's going on in our hearts, right, Pastor Rob? Oh, I agree. I agree. It's a tight time of self-examination and uh, just a time of quietness before the Lord. You know, we just live in such a busy life. And I almost believe that the Lord has is using this time of quarantine during the COVID virus to uh, allow his people to get bored and, 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 you know, have times of reflection, repentance, because we just got too many talking heads in our life, just too much noise. And uh, I think we need to be still and know that he is God and he wants to draw near to us. 
And, you know, this peace and quietness or tranquility is, is so beautiful and is so necessary for our relationship with the Lord. And like you had mentioned that we're so busy and yet we, we can't even sit five, 10 minutes still. And that alone should tell us something about that. Yeah, we, we're just a, you know, uh, a culture that continually seems to be need, needing stimulation. Uh, we either have video games or TV or something always going and it drowns out the voice of God. The still small voice of God is drowned out by all these voices, all this activity. And I believe God wants us to be still, be silent before him and allow him to speak to our hearts, convict us of the sins we need to be convicted of and to simplify our lives. Go back to basics to begin to simplify our lives. Yes, and he's more interested in changing us, changing our hearts, than he is changing our circumstances. Amen. I agree. I agree with that. This is Marina Maria from Faith City Outreach, and I am speaking with Pastor Rob Winters from Prepare the Way International Church in Phoenix, Arizona. I am speaking with Pastor Rob about his revised and expanded third edition of his book, Prepare America, Hope for a Nation in Crisis. Pastor Rob, in the same chapter, Prepare the Way of the Lord, you state, there is a changing of the guard taking place. The Lord is in the process of removing those ministers that have not been faithful to his message and is bringing out from the shadows those messengers that he has prepared in the wilderness and crucible of affliction. Can you comment about this, please? Sure. You know, I believe that God's been patient uh, with many ministers that have been compromising with sin. He's been dealing with them uh, for years. Um, there's been so many that have been willing to tickle the ears instead of touching the hearts of people. And I think I really believe the result of that is uh, some of the, uh, you know, seeker sensitive churches that we've seen that have appealed to the masses. And uh, I feel like a lot of ministers have been more interested in building big churches instead of making disciples. Um, that's kind of one of the things that we've been concerned about is that we've got people that have been in churches for 20 years and you give them a microphone to pray and they can't even pray or they don't know how to lead someone to the Lord or they don't know how to cast out demons. They don't know how to, um, they don't know how to pray for the sick. They don't know how to lead someone in the baptism of the Holy spirit. And so I believe that is one of the greatest missions or the greatest mission or commission that God's given us is to make disciples of all nations. I think we've done a poor job of it. I think that what we've done is just created a lot of country club churches that where people feel good about themselves, but we're going to find out here that in times of crisis, those messages and that ministry just isn't going to cut it. I really believe people are going to be looking for more. I believe we come to a place of critical mass. We come to a crossroads. We we come to a, such a time as this, and I believe that if these ministers will not repent, God will remove them, or people will simply begin to exit these churches. I believe there's another group of ministers that God has hidden for such a time as this. They've been been prepared in the backside of the desert. They've lived 
They've gone through a crucible of affliction. They've passed the test of betrayal, the test of time, the test of faith, many other tests that they have faced and, and passed. And I believe that God is bringing them out in this time in the season so that God would get the glory. They're people that are not of means, maybe not of education, but they've been with Jesus and they have been proven by him in the secret place. And I believe that he's bringing them out. These are going to be preachers of repentance, preachers, ministers of fire, carriers of his glory and of his healing power. I believe that many people say, where do these people come from? But God has prepared them. He's bringing them out. I believe there is a second wave that God's bringing out there. I believe what I call the uh, I call the Elisha commission of ministers. They're going to be coming out with a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. They're going to have twice the anointing for the spirit and message of repentance. They're going to carry a mantle of repentance. They're going to have double the miracles that Elijah had. They're going to have signs, wonders, and miracles following their ministry. And God is going to get the glory. They're not going to draw attention to themselves. They're going to lift up the name of Jesus. And many people will be drawn and harvested during this time because these messengers that God's bringing out this in this season. Amen. Pastor Rob, how does the Bible define repentance? I believe that um, actually Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 is probably the most thorough representation of what repentance is. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So there's two key elements to repentance. One is the confession of sin, but most modern preachers leave it there. They leave it there as -hmm. far as if you confess your sins, and people reference 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we miss the second component, which is the forsaking of sin. So it's not just confessing sin, but is the cleansing of sin and the forsaking of of sin. So repentance literally means to turn around. So it's not just turning away from sin, it's turning towards God. So what we do a 180, we confess our sin, we forsake our sin and return to the Lord because it's only through him that we can maintain deliverance from sin. What happens is, is that, um, you know, our repentance in America has been reduced to an apology. And I believe God's tired of our apologies because we've repented the same sin over and over and over again. And he will forgive us of our sin. But when we're continually engaging in sin, we haven't repented from it because repentance is uh, characterized by a lifestyle change. There should be a marked change. There should be something that changed uh, when we talk about repentance. And so repentance begins with humility, which is the opposite of pride. Pride is something that has bound us. And um, I know that you had a question here. Do you want to follow up with the next question? Because I Yeah, please share about repenting of pride and prayerlessness, as you mentioned in your book. Right, right, right. So that kind of dovetails with this last thing. So repentance begins with humility. Um, if, and, and humility is the opposite of pride. The Bible says that God resists the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. And what we've got to realize is we can't even repent on our own. It's a grace given by God. It talks about that. I believe it's in one of the books in Timothy. It says, per adventure, or perhaps God will grant us repentance to the not to the acknowledgement of the truth. And that's one of the misconceptions is that people feel like, well, I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And when I get on my deathbed, I will repent then. Well, you don't know that there will be grace to repent at that time because it's by the grace of God that we turn away and repent from sin. And so it's going to be hard to turn to Christ when you've spent a lifetime of saying no to Jesus. And uh, that's why there's not a whole lot of deathbed conversions, because people say no to Jesus over a lifetime. So when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he grants us the grace of repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's why humility is so important as a as um, preparation for repentance. You know, and another indication of pride, you know, pride uh, brings deception in our lives. The Bible says in Obadiah that the pride of your heart has deceived you. And, um, you know, one indication of pride is prayerlessness. And uh, I had a statistic in the book that, and I believe it's still valid, that ministers spend less than five minutes a day in prayer, which is really a surprise to me because prayer is one of the greatest acts of humility that we can do because we're acknowledging our need for God when we pray. If I could do everything I needed to do by myself, why would I need to pray? And so um, I think that's one indication of the condition of the American preacher is, is our lack of prayerlessness. And so I believe that prayerlessness should be one, uh, one of the top things that we need to repent of is prayerlessness. And I think the second thing, or probably the first thing is pornography. And second would be prayerlessness because we've been spending too much money looking at things we shouldn't be looking at instead of looking at the face of God. Amen. This reminds me too of James 4, 6, Pastor Rob, where God says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Right. Right. And um, so I, I think that's one of the things God's been saying to the church. Uh, you know, the, the banner scripture over America for the last 40 years has been Second Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name, number one, will humble themselves. And, you know, um, you can't really humble your, you know, one of the demonstrations of humility is prayer. So he says, humble yourselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from my turn from your wicked ways. Then he said, he would do three things. If we would do these four things, he would do three things. If we will humble ourselves, pray, seek its face, turn from our wicked ways, he said he would hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Those three. And America needs a lot of healing. So we can't really pray until we humble ourselves. We can't seek, seek the face of God without praying. And we can't turn from our wicked ways until we see him, have an encounter with heaven. And, um, you know... And he said he would hear us, he would hear us, he would forgive our sins and heal our lands. So we need a lot of healing in America. And I, so I really believe that Second Chronicles 7.14 is just a, another key scripture that um, yes. I believe we're going to start seeing the manifestation of that, uh, you know, this year. I believe we're going to start seeing a greater manifestation of it in America this year. Now, you mentioned that repentance begins with humility. So is that why many of us are struggling with pride? Because we haven't 
humbled ourselves to the Lord? Yeah, I did. yeah, pride and humility, they're, you know, actually in direct opposition to one another. And, and pride, you know, pride says, uh, I can do all things. But humility says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, it, and the, you know, it's when we think we can do it on our own, that's really the source of pride and the narcissism we see in America of all the self-made millionaires and all the self-made men and women who believe that is they who have done it. And when we think that we're doing it, that is, you know, the epitome of pride. And so um, we need to repent of our vanity, our narcissism, and every element of pride in our lives and cry out, cry out that God would have mercy on us. And I, I believe he will hear us and, you know, he will hear that prayer. Pastor Rob, please share some examples of things that we put in front of God that is considered idolatry and we don't even know it. Well, I I believe that any person, place, or thing that we put ahead of God is is an idol in our lives. He said, you know, in the Ten Commandments, there shall be no, you shall have no gods before me. And in America, I think we violate that commandment all the time. We're always putting things before God. Probably football is probably the biggest one. You know, I've had so many people, you know, once football season starts, they don't show up at church because they're more interested in football than interested in God. And so I think that we can identify our idols by where we spend our two most precious commodities, and that's our time and our money. So wherever we're spending excessive time or excessive money on something, uh, that potentially could be an idol. You know, idols can be sports, can be video games, could be, you know, sex in our culture is probably a big one. Shopping, our careers, and even ministry can be an idol. You know, um, sometimes we interpret serving God or worshiping God as ministry when in fact, you know, it's something that we're called to do as ministers, but yet it could become an idol in our lives too. So, I think that's something that we need to continually look at is we need to keep ourselves from idols and just continually put God first. And how do you do that? By putting, seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. And I believe that part of that is putting God first in the first part of your day. Prayer, read the word of God, put him first. It, the Bible says, acknowledge him in all of your ways. He'll direct your pathways. And I believe if we just take the time every day in the morning to seek the face of God in prayer and in his word that we will set the stage for, you know, the success and the blessing that God has for each and every one of us. Pastor Rob, I know when uh, preachers or when Christians talk about judgment, um, they're often criticized, but I'm asking you, please share one nugget for each stage of the three stages of divine judgment that you mentioned in your book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the three stages of judgment are outlined in first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. And it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So the first stage of judgment is judging ourselves. And so when uh, we're tempted, cause we're all tempted enticed by sin if we will surrender to the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit says, no, turn away from that sin, we surrender to the Lord and his conviction when he 
the Holy Spirit uh, says, hey, don't, you know, engage in that sin, um, then that is what judging ourselves is. And so we actually don't even engage in sin. We judge, um, you know, we judge the temptation and the enticement of sin, and we decide to turn away from it. So that's first, the first judgment is to judge ourselves in that. And then when we don't judge ourselves, we, we are then subject to the chastening of the Lord or the Lord's judgments. And, you know, Hebrews talks about don't despise the chastening of the Lord for the Lord loves those he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. And so, the judgments of the Lord are something to be embraced, not something to run from. But religion has taught us to run away from the judgments of God, where the Bible teaches us to run to the judgments of God and to embrace them. Psalm chapter 19, Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, uh, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So in this passage, he's saying that we are to we are to desire the judgments of the Lord more than gold because they're sweeter than honey. He says, by the judgments of the Lord, verse 11, your servant is warned and in keeping the judgments of the Lord, there's great reward. And so we don't realize that when we cry out for the judgments of God and he brings them into our lives and it keeps us from greater sin and it does bring uh, a reward. He goes on to say in verse 12, cleanse me of secret faults. Keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me and I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and redeemer. So in this passage, He's talking about judgments, even our thoughts, the thoughts of our heart, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, not even just our, not even our, just our actions, but our intentions. And, and he said that when we, when we surrender to the judgments of the Lord, we'll be, we'll be free and innocent of great transgression. And so I think that a lot of Christianity has minimized and marginalized the importance of asking and crying out for the judgments of God. And in doing that, he will send a spirit of judgment that will bring conviction and confession of sin and the cleansing of sin through the spirit of burning. So I think that's something we need to really look at. And then of course, if we do not surrender and submit to the judgments of the Lord, then we enter into the third stage, which is the condemnation with the world. And in that part is where God removes his protective covering off of his saints, and we become subject to the law of sin and death. And that's kind of what we're seeing throughout the earth right now. A lot of people are wondering, hey, is God sending this coronavirus? Well, he's not sending it because he doesn't have it to give. You know, the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. So there is no sickness and disease in heaven. There are no demons in heaven. There's no uh, poverty in heaven. So he doesn't have that to give. So what happens is Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So what happens is when we reject the judgments of the Lord, we become subject to the law of sin and death. So when we sin and don't respond in repentance, 
we actually draw death and judgment. We draw it to ourselves. It's not God doing it. We actually do it to ourselves. And that is why we're seeing a lot of the judgments in the earth today. God can use them because the judgments ends up shaking people, shaking their lives, shaking every kingdom. And he wants to do that. He wants shaking every kingdom so he can bring uh, the nations to the desire of all nations, bring them to the feet of Jesus. Uh, do you think that this relates also to that we haven't fully surrendered every part of our lives to the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I believe that's true. Um, when we, we don't surrender to him, to, to the Holy Spirit, we're holding something back and he, he wants us to give him all of our hearts. He wants us to serve him wholeheartedly. Uh, he wants us to be one spirit with him. And, and so he's looking for a people whose hearts are completely given to him. In scripture, it says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. And having a perfect heart doesn't mean you're absolutely perfect, but what it means is you're wholehearted towards the Lord. You wholeheartedly give everything to him. You surrender all to him. And so I do believe that's a key uh, to walking in the blessing and the fullness of God's spirit is surrendering to him. Right. And surrendering all is every area, every part of our lives, not reserving certain areas in, right. our, in our lives. Right. Exactly. Pastor Rob, how would you, um, how do we prepare our spirit, soul, and belongings for God, especially during this crisis? Well, I did a title, uh, you know, three separate chapters in the book, prepare, prepare your spirit, prepare your soul, prepare your belongings. So just taking one piece out of prepare our spirit. I think the primary thing is, again, we just need to humble ourselves there actually is a one, two, three scripture out of Romans. It's Romans chapter 12, verse three. And it says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And I believe that as we humble ourselves before the Lord, that we also should humble ourselves before one another. I believe that our humility before God is demonstrated by our humility uh, before man. Um, it even talks about that in Philippians. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually reference the scripture, but just from memory said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Looked on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that that passage of scripture outlines the humility of Christ that we should walk in 
we make ourselves of no reputation. We serve others. We look to the needs of others more than ourselves. So I think that is a very important part of that. As far as preparing our soul, I believe that we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. I believe that we are entering into a season of trials. I believe that we are going to see great darkness and also great glory. And we're going to have to allow the Lord to test and perfect our faith. So that we have the patience to make it through. Also prepare your belongings. There's a scripture out of Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 3. It says to prepare your belongings for captivity. So I think there are some things we can do in the natural uh, to prepare ourselves for pestilence, for poverty, for destruction, whatever. But I believe the glory of the Lord is rising upon the church in this hour. Pastor Rob, what are some um, last, let's say, encouraging words that you can give to the church or the body of Christ that is in um, that you could share that is in relation to your last chapters, prepare to prosper, prepare to arise? Yes. Um, well, I believe, uh, you know, that God wants us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. There's a one, two, three scripture in third John chapter one, verse two and three that indicates that. And um, but I also believe that more than anything, it's time for the church to arise. We need to prepare to arise. I believe that uh, the remnant church needs to arise. Isaiah chapter 60 says, arise, shine for your light has come for the glory of the Lord's risen upon you. Notice in verse two, he says that darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness to people. He says that my glory shall rise upon you, that even that kings would come to the brightness of your rising. So we've got to realize that darkness actually is a prerequisite to the glory that's rising upon the church. So I just want to exhort everybody. It's not time to run and hide. It's time to arise and shine because it's glory is rising upon the church. This is an exciting time for the church. And so I believe that it's our time to begin to arise in this day and this hour. Pastor Rob, thank you so much for sharing your book, Prepare America, Hope for a Nation in Crisis. Thank you also for sharing your heart in relation to what God has put in your heart to uh, write this book. Um, I am just going to end with a prayer that you wrote at the very last page of your book. And then you can just follow the prayer with whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for. Father, shake and awake the church. May your messengers convict us of our sin and provoke us to arise and rebuild your church. May we shine with your glory and become a light to a nation in crisis. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I just pray, Lord, for the audience, Father, and I just pray right now that the spirit of judgment and burning, the spirit of conviction would come upon each and every one of us. Father, we need a fresh baptism of fire in this day and in this hour. And I pray, oh God, that you would answer out of heaven. Lord, that you would answer by fire. Lord, send the purging fire. Lord, be a refining fire. Cleanse the sons and daughters of Zion, Father, that we would walk before you in purity and holiness that you would perfect us in holiness through the fear of the Lord. Lord, that we would be candidates for your glory. I pray, oh God, Lord, that you would make each one a vessel of honor fit for the master's use, that you would pour out your spirit of glory upon them, 
Lord, that signs, wonders, and miracles would follow your saints, that we would be burning ones, that we would be messengers of fire, that you would cause each one of us to arise and shine, that you would cause the word of the Lord to come forth out of our mouth as your messengers. You would cause the power of God to flow through our hands, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, Father. And Lord, that you would cause us to take the sickles in our hands, the angels that are dropping the sickles from heaven, that we would begin to thresh and that we would begin to reap the harvest of souls, Lord, the desire of your heart. And I pray, God, that as you shape the nations, that many millions would come to the desire of all nations, that you would have your way, Father, and that, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, the anointing and the ability to make disciples of all nations for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. Faith City Outreach can be heard daily, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Arizona time and 7 p.m. Eastern time. Faith City Outreach thanks Global Women Christian Chamber of Commerce Embassy and Four Winds Ministries for being supporters. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You have been listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. That email again is fcoprogram at gmail.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The music used in this broadcast is used courtesy of Zapswat.com.